Well, we're still in Deuteronomy chapter 32, the song of Moses, of the song that God gave to Moses. And we'll be looking at that in just a few minutes. Just a couple of things that you may have noticed that Druids have now been recognised as a religion in Britain for the first time. The charity commissions have recognised the the pagan religion of the Druids has been an official religion. Thousands of years they have been in existence, but now we're recognising them in this country as a religion. The other thing which I looked at this week was about Rick Warren. Uh, he was described in a magazine as a shill for terror. Now I didn't know what that meant. S-H-I-L-L. But it means uh, if, a, if a chap's a gambler and he has some scheme going, he'll have a chap in the audience or in the group who is, for all intents and purposes, just another onlooker. But in actual fact, he's there working on behalf of the gambler or the uh, trickster. And this guy reckons that Rick Warren was such a person. You talk about a shill for a gambler. Someone there who lurks around and brings the events that the gambler wants to take place or the trickster. Uh, he's there in the crowd but in fact acting on behalf of the hustler or the gangster. And uh, this man, uh, David Horowitz, from Front Page magazine, has branded Pastor Rick Warren a shill for terror. Because Warren is listed on the speaker's corner of a Muslim group that has some links uh, to terror. According to Front Page magazine, Warren knows about his being listed on the site and refuses to demand its deletion and offers no apology for its existence. It's on the site of the Islamic Society of North America and it lists Warren amidst other some controversial Muslim leaders. The ISNA, it says, is an American arm of the Muslim Brotherhood. It was founded in 1981 by a group of individuals which included the North American leader of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Sami al-Aryan. In 2007 and 2008, ISNA was named by the United States Justice Department as a willing participant in the financing of millions of dollars for Hamas. Warren addressed the ISNA's national convention last year and he said Muslims and Christians can work together for the common good without compromising my convictions or your convictions. I'm not interested in interfaith dialogue but interfaith projects, said the pastor of Saddleback Church. And he's more widely known for his purpose-driven life bestseller. 
He says, talk is cheap, but love is something we do together. And then he added, as the two largest faiths on this planet, more than one billion Muslims and two billion Christians, as Muslims and Christians, we must believe in this. As more than half the world, we must do something to model what it is to live in peace and to live in harmony. And so there we are. He thinks he can work with Muslims in furthering the kingdom of God, but should read his Bible, perhaps. So we want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. It's interesting that it says in verse 36, having just said that thing about Warren, it says, the Lord shall judge his people. And so true that is. Since we, we last met and uh, spoke about Deuteronomy, we, the, the title of our last talk was, they, they provoked God to anger. And the more you see of things happening in the churches around, we are provoking God to anger, I'm sure. We have produced a podcast on the thoughts on the Pope's visit and we have an accompanying leaflet which you may have copies of. The, the Pope was presented as a very amiable man by his church and the, the media as a, a godly friendly priest of God. You've seen how he was fated by the churches, especially by the Archbishop of Canterbury, by the Queen as head of state, but also she is head of the Anglican Church, and of course many others. And I just was saying, thinking about this, any remaining vestige of, of the, the Protestant heritage, which some of these churches claim to possess, were seeded to the Roman Catholic Church during that visit. These doctrines and tenets which were upheld and paid for by the blood of the martyrs were all just passed over at this visit of the Pope. You know, you'll be shunned if you insist that the Roman Catholic Church is not correct, but that it's apostate. They'll tell you that times have changed. Uh, times have not changed. The Council of Trent's anathemas still hold good. The hundreds of anathemas, I think they had 125 anathemas in the doctrines of the Council of Trent against the Reformation. That's why the Council of Trent didn't just last for a, a couple of weeks. It went on for years. It kept being reformed. It went from 1545 to 1563 and they produced hundreds of claims and that if you went against those claims you were anathema. That was that you had a curse or eternal damnation curse against you. And people say oh well that's all past but it isn't. Vatican II they'll tell you changed all that. It didn't. Vatican II still held to the tenets and the doctrines of the Council of Trent. 
So, just one or two things it does say. The 22nd session, the canon on the sacrifice of the Mass. If anyone says that in the Mass a true and real sacrifice is not offered to God, or that to be offered is nothing else than that Christ is given to us to eat, let him be anathema. If you deny that you're actually eating the body and blood of Christ, the literal body and blood of Christ, it, you're, if you deny that, well, you are due eternal damnation. It's interesting, actually, if you look at Acts 15, just looking at this before you came in, Acts, Acts 15 and verse 20, there were certain Gentiles who were converted and they were having a discussion as what we should tell them how they should act. And it says in verse 20, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them, go back to verse 19, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. So they, they were to keep away from the pollutions of idols. Well now if you want to look at a church that has pollutions of idols, I think we should look at the Roman Catholic Church. And then we, it says from fornication, well we've had all this child abuse from the Catholic Church, and from things strangled, and from blood. They were not to take blood, drink blood. And yet, in the Mass, the Roman Catholic Church claimed that the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is eaten and drunk. And yet, in Scripture, we are told to abstain from blood. Actually, it's really... It, it, it's, it's much more serious than that. It is a form of cannibalism, really. If, if they literally believe that what is there in the wafer is the total Jesus Christ, body, sinews, complete, the complete Christ, then you offer that on the altar and then you eat it. But enough of that. I could go on about purgatory and things, but it's all there in that leaflet and on the CD which we have put up on the net. And you can pray that God will challenge people as they read that on iTunes. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses. A little short talk today, perhaps with a challenge. This song that Moses was given. You know, today there's a desire for songs, new songs. Hundreds of new songs are produced every day. Sadly, most are inspired not by God, but I believe by Satan. I, I can never make out the words of what people are singing on, 
on television or on these CDs and things. Maybe that's a good thing. But the young people, the young people, our young people can understand what is being sung. And it's only if you see a transcript of some of these modern day lyrics that are quite evil. And those singing them are seeking to influence our young people by these grossly offensive lyrics in some cases. We're concluding a few comments today about this song that was given to Moses in which he taught the children of Israel. We'll point out just a few little points. You know, I suppose perhaps it was more a prophetic poem or ode rather than a song which was set to music. We always think of a song as something set to music, but I know we sing the Psalms. They were the songbook of Israel. But this perhaps was more of a prophetic ode. It, it deals, this song deals with Israel and God's dealing in governance with them. It's not about the church. This song is about Israel. A terrible picture has been penned in this song as we've been reading it of Israel's moral condition, their abandonment of their God their waywardness, their worship of other gods, gods they, they made up and they unnamed them. Verse 37, and he should say, Where are their gods, their rock in whom they trusted? They'd abandoned their rock, their God. They had abandoned him for, for sinking sand. And we saw in verse 29, the appeal from God, oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. I kept thinking about that. That people should consider their latter end. A poem I, I used to hear when we were younger. For people to consider their latter end. Tomorrow he promised his conscience. Tomorrow I mean to believe. Tomorrow I'll think as I ought to. Tomorrow the Saviour receive. Tomorrow I'll conquer the habits that hold me from heaven away. Whatever his conscience repeated one word and one only today. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Thus day after day it went on. Tomorrow, 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 till youth like a vision had gone. Till age and his passions had written the message of fate on his brow. And forth from the shadows came death with the pitiless syllable, now, tomorrow. Oh, that they would consider their latter end. People around us don't consider their latter end. And the Bible is always a book about now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. We don't know what a day will bring forth. 
There's a tract I read a while ago. And this king had a jester. And he was brought in when the king was feeling a bit low or when he had some friends in. The jester came in and he made people laugh. He made them happy. But one day the king called his jester in. And he said, Your Majesty, is everything all right? The king said, no. He said, I'm afraid. I'm going on a very long journey. And I will not come back. The jester looked at the king. Could see that he wasn't well. And he said, your majesty, have you prepared for this journey? The king looked at him and said, Sadly, no. I've made no preparations for this journey. The jester handed him back his rod, the thing he made people laugh with, and gave it to the king. And he said, take this, because you're a bigger fool than I. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Thus day after day it went on, and forth from the shadows came death, with the pitiless syllable, now, now. I was reminded as I was looking at this last night of the parable that Jesus told in Luke 12. I'll just read it. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he, th he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barn and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods and I will say to my soul soul thou hast much goods laid up for many years take thine ease eat drink and be merry just turning off there, that's an expression that everybody knows. You, you hear it quite often. Oh, eat, drink and be merry. It just struck me that years ago this passage must have been preached about by the old preachers warning people of their latter end. Not many people know about this parable these days I'm sure but this man said take thine ease eat drink and be merry but God said unto him thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee then who shall those things be which thou hast provided so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich 
toward God. Verse 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. This man suffered from short-sightedness, myopia. Look how he spoke about I and me and mine all through. He was self-centered. He hadn't thought of his latter end. But God said, but God said, for us as Christians, we are to preach the gospel in season and out of season. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. But look at the wonderful encouragement that Jesus says. All things are going to be bad perhaps. But fear not, little flock. He will walk beside us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is our friend. And he has given us the indwelling Holy Spirit who will never leave us nor forsake us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Holy Spirit will indwell us. He will abide with us forever. Oh, David prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He didn't know the assurance of the indwelling Holy Spirit who would abide with him forever. But when Jesus left this scene, he prayed the Father and he will send the Holy Spirit into our lives and into our hearts and he will abide with us forever. Israel was to receive punishment. Punishment for their waywardness. And it has been described so vividly and so dramatically in Deuteronomy 32. But there would come a time, and will surely come a time, when God will again restore Israel and take vengeance upon those who have mistreated Israel. Look at verse 42. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh. And with the blood of the slain and of the captors, from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Those people who had mistreated and maltreated his beloved Israel. Oh, when they were down, they were kicked by these people. But God says, I will make mine arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. And look at verse 43. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. That must be something 
wonderful for these people to have heard. They have been told how God was going to punish them for their waywardness, for all that they had done. They had gone away. He had provided the, the promised land with the land flowing with milk and honey. He had assured them of his presence with them and they had turned their back on him. Totally. Completely. And as a result of that they had been scattered to the four corners of the earth. And God had punished them. As we said a few weeks ago, there has been no nation on earth who has suffered like Israel and are still suffering. But the wonderful thing is, the wonderful thing is that God will bring them back. What a wonderful end to this solemn poem. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. God will be merciful unto his land and his people. You know, I can't do much better than read a wonderful passage from Joel chapter 3. This is a remarkable passage. Joel chapter 3. For behold, in those days, and in that time, when I shall turn again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. That's the time in the future when he will turn again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. I will also gather all the nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people and mine inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have parted my land. You know, all this talk about dividing Israel, the land of Israel at the moment, it's up-to-date news. What does it say? Whom they have scattered among the nations and they have parted my land. And they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. Yea, also, what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the districts of Philistia? Will ye render me a recompense? But if he recompense me, swiftly and speedily will I bring recompense upon your own head. Because ye have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my beautiful, pleasant things. The children of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have ye sold unto the children of the Greeks, that ye might remove them from their border. Behold, I will raise them up out of the place whither ye have sold them, and will bring your recompense upon your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, 
to a nation far off, for Jehovah hath spoken. Proclaim this among the nations, prepare war, arouse the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords, and your pruning knives into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Haste ye and come, all ye nations round about, and gather yourselves together. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Jehovah. Let the nations rouse themselves, and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the nations round about. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the vats overflow, for the wickedness is great. All describing the future Armageddon. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The valley of threshing. There's going to be a threshing there of the enemies of God. For the day of Jehovah is at hand in the valley of threshing. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And Jehovah will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake and Jehovah will be a shelter for his people and the refuge of the children of Israel. For ye shall know that I, Jehovah, am your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and no stranger shall pass through her any more. And it shall come to pass in that day, that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the water courses of Judah shall flow with waters, and the fountain shall come forth from the house of Jehovah and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah in that they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation and I will purge them from the blood from which I had not purged them for Jehovah dwelleth in Zion oh these people we were just talking before we started about the Methodist church apparently are boycotting Israeli goods they need to be very careful. They need to be very careful. Jehovah is on the side of Israel. Judah shall abide forever. And Jerusalem from generation to generation. In this song that we have in Deuteronomy 32, we have a, a miniature of the history. Their past their present and their future. God's chosen people. God's earthly people. Not the church. This is a picture of the history 
of the people of Israel. And it ends, it ends with the judgment and the punishment of all those nations in God's divine plan who mistreated and maltreated Israel over the years. We still see it happening so vividly today. They're going to divide the land. They're going to try and make peace. But there will never be peace until our Lord shall come and take up the fight on behalf of his people. Look again at verse 43. The final passage of this great song. Because after that it says, And Moses came and spake all the words of this song in the ears of the people, he and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Moses made an end of speaking all these words to all Israel. We look at those few verses next week. But look at the way the song ends again. A song, as we say, of the past, present and future, of what was going to happen in Israel. But look, rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Wonderful climax of this great song given to Moses and passed on to the children of Israel to learn. Did they learn it? Did they understand it? No. They failed again. But there still is that future hope that God has for his people.